Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly writers club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the classes tab. This is Writing Class Radio. I'm Andrea Askowitz, the teacher of the class. Today, I'm your host. We're talking about obsessions. I'm in the studio with Allison Langer, my co-host and student in the class, who just survived a three-week road trip with her kids. I stepped down And let another mission consume me I guess to cope, she power-listened to podcasts. And she learned something cool about obsessions from the Tim Ferriss podcast, where he interviewed Tony Robbins. There's nothing I can do Rejection breeds obsession. Yeah, well, that's what Tony Robbins says. He says, the parents whose attention you were constantly trying to get is the person who shaped you. So you, so I kind of see these guys, and I'm like, oh my God, that guy's so cute. And then if he's not interested, all of a sudden I decide that guy is the guy that I want. <laughs> and I don't even know him. I don't know anything about him. But I decide, like, oh my God, this guy would be perfect for me. And I put him in this place and I become obsessed. So, of course, once somebody becomes obsessed with you, you think they're wacko. Right. Doesn't work. No. Yeah. So I started thinking somebody matches me on match. I'm not texting them back. <laughs> I think Perfect it'll work. strategy. Um, but no, no, but you know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of my dad. And how when I was a kid, like we would be at dinner with my whole family and I would be telling a story and I would be like going on and like la 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 la. And my mom would be like, yeah, yeah, so yeah, uh huh, tell me more, tell me more. And my dad would be like, Andrea, cut to the chase. And I've spent my life trying to get my dad's attention. So now from then on, you are constantly trying to, you're obsessed with him. Yeah. And obsessed with his attention. And yeah. you've become obsessed with attention oh, in what? general. And guess what? I married my dad. Yeah. Because Victoria is exactly the same way. I'm like, listen, listen. Yeah. And Gerald was just like my mom, completely narcissistic. <laughs> I'm sorry, mom. God damn you, dad. I'm not sorry. But basically what you're saying is old rejection wounds create obsessions. And obsessions are the thing that create our best stories. We asked you, our listeners, what are you obsessed with? And here's what we got. Karen Tolchin said, Mermaids. I think it's about wanting a girl. Or to be a girl again in a different glitter-spun way. Carol Coombs said, Philately. Which sounded dirty, so I looked it up. It means stamp collecting. Carol's particularly obsessed with stamps about film, children, flowers, architecture. Not dirty. But everyone's entitled to their obsessions. Emily Isabel Arus said, My hopefully future wedding. Rabbi Jamie Aklepi said, I'm obsessed with Dairy Queen's vanilla cone dipped in chocolate shell. For 45 years, I've ordered only that at Dairy Queen. I try to order something else, but I can't. Why? A vanilla cone dipped in chocolate shell is the best ice cream to cone to chocolate ratio. Okay, now I'm also obsessed with Dairy Queen's vanilla cone dipped in chocolate. Our obsessions are the things we want, or the things we don't want. But they are the things we think about. 
and often things we don't understand. On today's episode, we have a special guest teacher, Steve Amon, who I'm sort of obsessed with. I've talked about him here on the show because he's one of the best teachers ever. He's a short story writer and essayist and the author of 10 books, at least. He wrote Candy Freak and most recently Against Football. Also, he's the co-host, along with Cheryl Strade, of one of our favorite podcasts, Dear Sugar Radio. I sat with him to talk about his obsession with obsessions. At a certain point, I realized, oh, almost everything I've written is pretty much just something I'm obsessed with, and almost everything I've read that I like a lot has an obsession that's at the center of it, fiction or nonfiction, essay, memoir, whatever it is. And then I started thinking about obsession, the fact that it's something you're utterly riveted by, but also ashamed of. And then I started thinking about the fact that my kids are all totally obsessed. You can, you know, and what does that really mean? It means they're paying incredibly careful attention to their desires. My nine-year-old, Josie, many, you know, several years ago, she was always obsessed with food and controlling food. So one night, Aaron made, my wife Aaron made hummus and made the, it turns out, very bad decision to put paprika on this hummus. And she brought it to the table, and this was Josie's like one virtuous, proteinous meal that we could get her to eat because she loved her mom's hummus. And she just reared back in astonishment and said, what is that? Because, you know, this red paprika was all over her beautiful virginal um, hummus. We said, it's paprika. No, no, paprika, no. And so, you know, Aaron took a knife and sliced the top layer off and, like, slabbed it in my mouth. And, like, that's how we parent, right? Let's just, but it's not enough because paprika was already in her head and the threat of more paprika was now in her life. Paprika was a possibility that could happen to any other hummus or perhaps even to her. And so she just spent the entire evening talking about paprika and what was it and where did it come from and how could we like UN inspectors ensure that any further production of paprika was never possible. I thought, oh my God, this kid is utterly obsessed with this. And rather than viewing that as some sick, unhealthy thing, I thought, well, wow, that's, that is the deepest form of meaning to her. Like food should be a certain way and it's very important to her sense of self and control and so forth. And she's just trying to tell us that. And it's she just illustrated how we all are. Correct. And it's socialized out of us as adults. Stop thinking about that. Stop doing that. Stop touching yourself. All the things that we in our private little kingdoms are doing and thinking about over and over again that are really expressions of who we are. Some of them might be unhealthy, but it's just how consciousness functions. And that's how good literature works because the basic questions you ask of any story, any piece of writing is, who do I care about? What do they care about? And the sooner that that, those questions are answered and the deeper the obsession runs the deeper the reader's gratification because we know who to root for and we know what their desire or what they're frightened of. And so there's all these examples of this, Othello and Macbeth and Don Quixote and Moby Dick and every book you can mention practically has some kind of obsession at the center of it. I tried to write a novel and I wasn't obsessed with it. I didn't know the character at all and it just never hooked in. The obsession thing never hooked in. So then I got depressed and I thought, oh God, I don't want to write anything and nobody wants me to write anything. But then the one thing that rescued me was that I started, I visited a chocolate factory and all I thought about was, oh my God, I've always used candy as a path from despair. It has always been the sex, drugs, and rock and roll of my childhood. And that's Mm -hmm. true of most other people, it turns out, with candy. And for me, it was like, 
that book is about this depression that I was going through, but it's kind of also about the history of the United States and the confectionery industry. But for me, the autobiographical stuff that's in the beginning of the book was necessary for me to say, I'm the right guide for this. Like Dante's got to be the guide to hell. Like I am legitimately spent every day of my childhood ideating about candy, could not get myself away from it, was utterly obsessed with it. And in moments of duress in my adulthood, it's exactly the thing I go back to. And everybody, not everybody, a lot of my friends, when they read the manuscript, were like, what's up? Like, we didn't know any of this, we didn't know about this at all. Well, that's the whole point with your right, obsessions. You right. hide them. That they go into secret. the closet. That's your secret. See why I'm obsessed? I've learned so much from that guy. And you can too. If you're near Miami, Steve is teaching a class with us November 9th, 2016. The class is all about sex writing. Check our website for details. So rather than view our obsessions as some sick, unhealthy thing, Steve thinks of obsessions as expressions of who we are. He also says you are the right guide to lead us through your obsession, which is to say you're the only one who can tell your story. Alison Langer, my co-host and student in the class, tells her story next about a guy she just can't shake. While sitting on my spin bike this morning, staring at the instructor, I felt a surge of energy. Marcos is gorgeous. He's six foot something, has a trim beard, and is wearing a tight black shirt. He rolls it up at the sleeves to reveal his muscles. I'm not that into tight shirts, but his doesn't bother me. I like that he gets on the bike and rides with the class. Not all the instructors do that. It motivates me. Marcos wears white Adidas sweatbands on his wrists, black shorts, black socks, and black shoes. I have never seen Marcos in anything but black. Today's brown hair is sweating and flopping around. I imagine his hair falling around his face while he's on top of me naked. I look over at my friend Natalie. We exchange shameless smiles. She's told me that she crushes on him too. When I look back at Marcos, he smiles and says, did I miss something? I laugh and drop my head. Before I knew Nat had a crush on Marcos, I thought I was the only one. When he first came to the gym about a year ago, he would roam the floor. One day, I approached him to ask for specific exercises to help heal the pull I had near my crotch. Seriously, I had a real pain in my groin and I was asking for his advice. He showed me some exercises that helped and days later he asked if I was doing better. He likes me. Marcos looks like he's in his early 40s. He's fit, but not ripped and bulky. He probably fights a few LBs around his midsection. His legs have a softness around the knees. Without exercise, he'd probably chub out. But with a face like his, nobody's looking at his knees. He has great structure in his jaw, and his eyes are a soft brown. He looks American. His voice sounds Midwestern. But his name is Marcos. Makes me think at least one of his parents is Latin. Months went by after Marcos asked me how I was doing. 
Other than a quick smile, we didn't speak. Lately, he nods at me. He likes me. I think that because good-looking men at the gym ignore women they're attracted to. I play that game, too. No guy's going to see me staring at him. No way I'm saying hi first. Men need a challenge. No challenge, no chance. So because Marcos is not speaking to me, I know he likes me. He began teaching a spin class, and I rearranged my work schedule so that I could be there every Tuesday at 9 a.m. He's at the front of the class. It makes sense to stare at him. After class, he punches me in the arm and says, you killed it. Next time after class, I tried to approach him, but there was a line of other women. Why are they bothering my man? The women lined up were younger than I am, fitter and prettier. I got discouraged, but I didn't give up. One of the trainers told me that Marcos has a girlfriend. I don't believe him. He's probably just jealous. He also said that Marcos modeled in a previous life. He showed me photos on the internet. It must not have been that long ago because Marcos looked exactly the same. Stunning. Maybe he does have a girlfriend or maybe he has a crush on me but doesn't want to lose his job. It's against gym rules for employees to fraternize with the members. Maybe he's just following the rules. I want to ask him about his girlfriend, find out if it's true. Tell him I'll drop out of the club if I need to. Marcos gets off his bike every so often to check on us. He yells to motivate us to go faster. Keep going. Don't give up. It feels like he's talking to me. I stare at him, then avert my eyes. I don't want to creep him out or ruin the challenge. I look around the room. I'm not the only one staring at him. I wonder what it must feel like to have 25 women staring at you. I want Marcos to like me. He's in control. He's confident. I like that. My mind wanders. I wonder how long he can last. How big his dick is. Does he talk dirty? I look up at Marcos. He's smiling at me. God, I hope he can't read my thoughts. Then something clicks. It's beautiful out. Sunny and cool. What am I doing in this dark, smelly room? I look at the clock. 45 minutes is too long to be on a bike, listening to loud music and smelling my neighbor's bad breath. Why do I do this? Is it just for Marcos? I don't take other classes here. I think about my first spin class and the first time I saw Gerald. He walked into the class late. He was gorgeous, tall and dark, and his stride was confident. Months later, after we became friends, I would text him. Hey, just reserved bike 19 for the Saturday 9 a.m. class. He would text back, booking bike 20. That seems like forever ago, but it's only been five years. I was 42. I'd just given birth to Sloan. It took Gerald a while to realize there was no dad involved, that I'd had the kids on my own. Those bike texts were just the beginning, one gym buddy to another. It seemed innocent and easy, two people who met at the gym traded casual conversation, went to a Turkish bath, spent the day together, then fell in love. I fell so hard and so fast, and it never waned. I adored him until he died. Being in that spin class today, that gym, made me feel close to him. It reminds me of how much I love him, of the hole he left behind. The next time Marcos looks at me, my smile is gone, and my eyes are glassy. 
class has ended and everyone is walking out. I understand why I'm here crushing on a gorgeous spin instructor who ignores me and has a girlfriend. He's safe. He can't hurt me. On my way out the door, Marcos asks again, So what did I miss? I tell him, Nat and I were fighting over you. He smiles and walks away. And I walk away too. I love this story. Okay, this is Andrea again. I asked Allison this question. Okay, so when I got to the end of the story, I was totally surprised that it was about Gerald. So I was wondering, when you were writing the story, did you know it was about Gerald the whole time? Or were you also surprised? What happened was, as I was working on the story in my mind, as I was in spinning class, I'm like, oh my gosh. And, and when I got out, I just wrote it. But what happened in the spin class was, yeah, I was there and I was having fun and I was looking at this guy and then all of a sudden I'm thinking, why am I in this class? And then I, you know how your memory starts jogging and it got like, oh yeah, I remember that time that Gerald walked in and, and then I looked outside and there was a guy walking by with no socks and I was like, Gerald didn't wear socks. And so my brain just started going back and then I started getting really sad and then the class was over. I think it's like about obsessions in general. They sort of find their way into every story. And that's, we have to work those out and write about them and write about them until we move on to the next obsession that we start writing about. <laughs> True. Yeah. Never ending bucket of no, obsessions. But the, the fucking, the, the socks jogs my memory. Like some dude walks by or some bald guy walks by and I'm like, oh, Gerald. I have a quick public service announcement. Writing Class Radio is hosting our first live show, October 1st, 2016, at the Lightbox in Wynwood. Writing Class Radio Live will feature Anne Randolph, an award-winning solo performer and writing teacher. Tickets go on sale September 1st. Details on our website. It's going to be the best show ever. We're back to Writing Class Radio. This is Andrea Askowitz. So we get a lot of stories from our listeners about things they were or are obsessed with. Because like Steve Amon says, an obsession is at the root of all good stories. Our next story comes from one of our listeners, who is also a past student of mine, who took Steve Amon's workshop on obsessions. Here's Melanie Merriman. Her story is about a childhood secret. At 10, what occupied my mind? was keeping the secret that I was crazy, hiding it from my friends, never letting anyone know the truth, that I was frightened all the time by everything and nothing, but mostly hiding it from my mom and my dad. I'd wake up and feel the dread in my stomach and wonder how I'd get any food down at breakfast, because if I didn't, they would know that I was afraid again. And they'd worry, which only made me feel worse because it was my fault that we weren't the perfect, happy family that my mother tried to make us. And if she could see that I was bone-shaking, throwing up scared, she'd ask me why. What was I afraid of? And I would tell her the honest and completely unsatisfying truth. I don't know. But I'd run through the options. Fear of failure at school, a slight by a classmate, some imagined misbehavior a white lie I'd told, 
and soon the list would become the source of a deeper panic, and I'd end up in the bathroom wrapped around the toilet. If the fear came at night, as it more often did, I'd try to calm my mind with rhythmic leg movements, counting as I bent first the right leg, then the left, then tapped one against the other, and then began again. And when it failed, I'd throw up in the wastebasket and get up extra early to clean it out before anyone knew. I tried to figure out when the fear would come, but it was sneaky and unpredictable. I tried to be very, very good, obedient, successful at schoolwork, going to bed on time, avoiding anything that might cause guilt or shame. But every time I felt afraid again, it was a failure. I'd failed to be brave or even normal. Something was very wrong with me, and I had to hide it. Our next story is by Jennifer Dertusos. Jennifer is one of our listeners. She's also been staking out our website, where she writes in response to our daily prompts. Almost daily. You can write right into our website, too. We have hundreds of prompts and a nifty little timer to get you going. Here's Jennifer's obsession story. I started a horrible habit nearly a decade ago. The clinical term for it is trichotillomania. In a society that values abundant hair, and in a city whose female population spends fortunes on extensions, I find myself going in the opposite direction by plucking out the hairs on my head. I didn't realize it was a thing until my dad pointed it out. We were on vacation, and the driver had just picked us up from the airport. Mom and the rest of the family had arrived ahead of us. So there we were, sitting in the vehicle, when he asked, What are you doing? I didn't realize I was actually doing anything. When I stopped and thought about his question, I realized my thumb and middle finger were entangled in one single solitary hair attached to my head. I was in the midst of plucking it out. I don't know what triggered this habit and I don't know exactly when it started. It may have been brought about by the stress of medical school in a foreign country. All I know is that when I'm engaged in yanking out an errant hair, it calms me down. The only other calm that can compare to the feeling of plucking is the feeling I get after yoga when I'm in Savasana. I still do it. I know it is bizarre. Luckily, I know when to stop. I hope. There aren't any visible bald spots on my head. I try to stop, but it feels too good. It feels like meditation. I place my right hand on my scalp, search for a slightly less straight hair, run the tips of my fingers along the strand to confirm its coarseness and that it doesn't belong on my head, wrap it around my fingers, and gently tug. It doesn't hurt. I continue to do this until I'm satisfied. One by one, I pluck one strand of hair from my head and release them to the floor. Sometimes 20 hairs pay the price. Other times, there are more. When I finish, I pick the hairs up and throw them away, as if nothing ever happened. For first draft stories that are written in response to a prompt like these, I ask our students, what draws you in? What do you want to know more about? What draws me in to both of these stories is how these narrators are perfect guides. Melanie tells us how she tried to soothe herself at night, taking us through her leg movements. And she's clear on the stakes, her fear equals an imperfect family. Melanie's troubled by her experience. 
I want to know more. Mostly, how does she learn to live with this anxiety? Jennifer tells us exactly how she pulls out each hair and how that calms her. This narrator explores her obsession, like Steve Amon says, as an expression of who she is. Here's your assignment. Make a list of your obsessions. Write them down quickly. Write five to ten things you can't stop thinking about. Then circle the one obsession you least want to think about. Set your timer for ten minutes and write about it. Then record what you wrote on your voice memo and send it in to info at writingclassradio.com. Your story might appear right here on our show. I was talking to Diego, our audio producer, who is obsessed with where he is in life or where he thinks he should be but isn't. He can't stop judging himself, and he compares himself to all his friends. He said, I wonder why I'm not working at a bank. Why did I choose freelance audio? This is not a very stable life. I need to write about it. I need to have a big conversation with myself. I love that. Writing is having a conversation with yourself about whatever it is you can't stop thinking about. You'll get Diego's full story about his lot in life obsession in our next episode. There's nothing I can do to write it all new. Writing Class Radio is produced by Diego Saldana Rojas, Allison Langer, and me, Andrea Askowitz, with editorial support from two awesome guys, Sonesh Chainani and Alejandro Santiago. Additional music by Smile. Check out all our musicians on our website. Writing Class Radio is sponsored by and recorded at the University of Miami School of Communication. This episode is also sponsored by the Sanibel Island Writers Conference, November 3rd through 6, 2016. Sign up today. Info at writingclassradio.com. There's more writing class on our website. Study the stories we study and listen to our craft talks. If you don't like the prompt I just gave you, pick one of the daily prompts from our website and time yourself. They're also on Twitter. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.